you can't fabricate experience and sports performance. Certainly there's people who are outliers that have like immense talent that might come into a sport and they've only played it for a couple of years and then they get chosen to be drafted. Like there's certainly outliers, but for the most part, the result that you want doesn't happen overnight. And it requires like the dedication and the discipline and the learning and the failures and learning from your failures and turning those into successes. Like failure is just a stepping stone. And I think some people can be afraid to fail. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Live on Bomb podcast, where we explore the secrets, stories, and skills of the world's top performers. These conversations are real, honest, courageous, and great fun, and each episode is designed to provoke, educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve the impossible. No topic is off limits. Today, I had a great chat with former USA number one and soldier, Megan Henry, where she details the strategies and tactics on how she overcame a life-threatening diagnosis to make it back to perform on the world's highest stage and achieve national recognition once again. Megan is an exceptional person in every sense of the word, and she's a force to be reckoned with for sure, and that's why she got the nickname the Savage Megadit, due to her grit, determination, resilience, and perseverance. A lifelong athlete, somebody who's ferociously passionate about high performance and pushing the boundaries and living life to the fullest. In our conversation, we'll explore how she overcame a physical and mental debilitating condition and a life-threatening injury, her relationship between delayed gratification, her achievements, her mind, self-healing, her attachment to the past, her successes, her failures, how she overcame all of those aspects of her life to be where she is today. Hope you enjoy it, guys. I always like to start. Um, even this question, I'm always very curious about because our earlier experiences in life definitely shape us in many ways, you know. So when you reflect back to your kind of earlier days in life, what would you say would be the kind of um, the key learnings you took away from that or, your, you know, that has shaped you or the kind of key things when you reflect back and say, Jesus, that's a huge part of um, why and who I am today. I would say, so my dad was an athlete. He was super athletic. Um, he had, he played American football and uh, went to Louisiana State University, grew up in the South. So if you know anything about the South and the United States and football, it's like religion. So mm. <laughs> um, very, very talented, but had a career ending injury. And so oh. he kind of like, lived vicariously through my brother and I when we competed in sports. Oh, yeah. and, what, age, um, what age was he making when, when he had the injury? What age was his? Um, in college, I mean, he probably was, geez, I don't know. I mean, like 19 or 20 years old. Really? Probably. So he's that yeah. young when he's when he like injury, like no more sport. And it, Yeah. And like super athletic person, right? Like, I know. I, look, and, I'm, I can't imagine how hard that was, right? For him. Yeah. Because, and, you know. You have ambitions like we we all have like our dreams and goals and um he you know obviously wanted to play professionally and at that time um the surgery so he had like tore his meniscus but they just took yeah. the whole meniscus out so then you you can't really do anything you know there's no stabilization in the knee and it's just so he couldn't play football anymore he ran track he still ran track but uh, not his like dream dream sport <laughs> Yeah, but he was taken away from where he could have. Like, I'd imagine he still had a lot of. Uh, even today, you know, you still kind of always. You always wonder what if 
what if definitely yeah and so I mean I was kind of I had an older brother and uh so I'm the youngest and um I was a bit of a tomboy and so I kind of like followed whatever my brother was doing so I was very naturally really athletic when I was young and um my parents mostly my dad my dad was like the athlete of the family but Mm. my parents pushed us into sports so that was kind of like the activity that we did versus um I did play instruments and do things like that but (laughs) for the most part it was it was sports um I did dance as well but that's a look I would count that like I would say that's a brilliant thing for any child or any young person to experience sport and and everything that it brings right many different challenges like yeah. i know you're definitely going to get there now right what you've learned coming from sport like i can resonate big time definitely sure. and just even like you know the skill the coordination you learn discipline you learn delayed gratification um yeah. there's so much that is absolutely amazing about sports participation and I, that's why i love it and encourage children to do it because you just you learn so much about you as well as you know, being a good teammate, working with other people, collaborating, communication. There's so many things. It's yeah. just endless. So what yeah, what what like just I have a question about delayed gratification. Pause on that for like what I'd love to know what was the kind of the single most important aspect of your journey in that in that sport sport for you. Like what was this what was the most important thing that, that has really, really been the like the most powerful thing in your life through sport? I would say constantly pushing the the boundaries, pushing the envelope of what's possible for you. And that, you know, the the analogy, you know, once you make it to the peak, you're at the bottom of another mountain. So there's another peak to climb. I think that and just kind of reworking that what you got you to one level is not going to get you to the next. So you're always kind of acquiring new skills or trying to find an edge somehow, learning about flow, whatever it is. there's always more things to just like expand your vessel. And um, that I think is probably the biggest thing that I took away from sports. And you probably have a natural curiosity as well about um, exploring the edge. Right? Definitely. What, what, definitely. You, you get to the top of the mountain, you're like, right. <laughs> the next mountain. But again, that actually, that, is, that does tell you with delayed gratification. You know what? Like, can you explain maybe that concept a little bit more, Megan? Sure. I think. Uh, especially today when everything's instant, right? You can mess with somebody across the world. I'm talking to you and I'm not even in the same country as you. And um, everything seems to be really, really instant. We have AI that can do all of this stuff for you and it's automated, but the things like you can't fabricate experience and sports performance. Um, Certainly there's people who are outliers that have like immense talent that might come into a sport and, They've only played it for a couple of years and then they get chosen to be drafted. Like they're certainly outliers, but for the most part, the result that you want doesn't happen overnight. And it requires like the dedication and the discipline and the learning and the failures and like learning from your failures and turning those into successes. Like failure is just a stepping stone. And I think some people can be afraid to fail and, uh, or just don't want to experience that. I was certainly like that when I was younger, I didn't want to do things that I wasn't good at because I didn't want to like experience failure. So it's yeah. interesting that I, you know, turned around and was in sports my whole life. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I think that de- delayed gratification simply means that it's, there's a lot that goes behind the scenes to these big successes that we see. It yeah. wasn't instant. Like we often don't see the failures in the journey that it took to get there. 
Listen, Megan, and, and for you, your journey, so you heavily involved in sport. Definitely. Even more and even more heavily and even more. And it just it, it grew from there as, as sport being a huge part of your life and you've achieved so much. And it was definitely a lot of learnings and challenges along the way. So like, can you tell me, and, and the military played a part in that as well, I know for sure. So mm-hmm. like, can you tell us about kind of the journey from kind of that younger kid that was tomboy and kind of immersed <laughs> in sport to to who you are now, I suppose. And it's a huge, it's a huge journey, but there's been some significant um, moments in your life along the way, you know? Definitely. I think I knew, so my, my first athletic love was field hockey. Um, when I was middle school. So, you know, even prior to being a teenager, I pretty much knew that I was going to play in college. Like I had the aspiration to play in college, even though it was years off, you know, I just, I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to go to all these camps and I'm going to get better. And yeah. I want to play at a division one school and get a scholarship. And so I, for whatever reason, had that like foresight and knew that that's something that I wanted to do. And that, that um, drive, Megan, right? Like I see that when you say foresight, I see, I can see a lot of fire, you know, and yeah. drive and kind of. And um, it, it served me well. I mean, I, I ended up going to um, American University in Washington, D.C. I played field hockey there for four years at a Division One school. I had a scholarship, so I, I got the things that I mm-hmm. wanted. <laughs> and um, I ran track as well, in, in, like in high school. And then my senior year in college, I walked onto the track team because I wasn't quite ready to be finished with field hockey. Yeah. So um and then when I came to like graduate and and get a job, um, I went to this job fair. At the time, I really wanted to work for like the FBI. I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to work in the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they wanted you to have like three to five years work experience and a master's degree. And I'm like, what are you doing at a college job fair? But <laughs> so I ended up I had thought about joining the army um when I was much younger actually yeah. so I was probably I don't know 12 years old or something and I had signed yeah. something um there was like a push-up contest that the army was having at our school and my middle school and high school was was combined into one building so they're clearly going after like 17 and 18 year olds but I yeah. just happened to be there so I entered this push-up contest because I was like oh I'm really gonna push up <laughs> to enter this contest and so a recruiter ends up coming to our house and they knock on the door and my dad answers the door and he's like, they're saying, you know, I'm here to speak with Megan. And he's like, well, talk talk to me. (laughs) Yes. But they ended up coming in and talking to me and spending, even though I wasn't going to convert into a recruit for them, they came in and spoke with me and that really stuck with me. And I was like, when I was younger, I just thought serving in the military was an honorable thing to do. I really liked my country. <laughs> and so um, it didn't pan out for me to, so in the US we have ROTC, Reserve Officer Trainer, yeah. Training Corps. And so essentially you serve while you're in college, you have to do certain trainings and stuff, but they pay for school for you. And then you owe time afterwards. And um, American had a program, but I was, I was just like full in on sports and I would have had yeah. no life if I did it. So when I, couldn't get a job. Um, my goal was like, okay, I'm going to get the three to five years work experience and my master's degree. I'll get the degree paid for by the military. And, uh, which I did, but in that time I was recruited for skeleton. So if anybody listening doesn't know what skeleton is, 
it's uh it's like luge but head first so it's on the same track as bobsled like in the movie yeah. cool runnings cool runnings, yeah. <laughs> you uh push a sled running bent over and mm. then you jump on head first and you hit speeds of like 80 miles an hour you experience five g's of force and you're only steering with your shoulders and your knees on this sled is that <laughs> so, like that's a shift from field hockey and kind of how did like what was so and probably like something you wasn't always on your radar as a sport that you wanted to play or maybe it was new to no, you like so i didn't what? even know what it was really yeah so what's the shift what happened so I actually was recruited to do bobsled. Um, one of the girls who is now a multiple Olympic medalist, um, Alana Myers-Taylor, she was contacting other strength coaches. So she went to school in the D.C. area as well, um, which is where American yeah. University is. And she contacted strength coaches and was just trying to like recruit athletes. So I originally went up for bobsled, but those girls are like, you know, they're double my weight. They were just so big. So they're like, you should just switch over to skeleton. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. I like roller coasters and skydiving. Yeah. So this is right up my alley. But I had no idea, you know, anything about it. And while I, I ran track, which is an individual sport, for my whole life, I was really in team sports. Yeah. So it was quite the transition to skeleton because it's very, very mental. I all sports are mental, but yeah, particularly, mm. yeah, individual sports are extremely mental, mm. um, especially when things are happening really quickly. So I would say like, we're on par with almost like MMA fighters in a way, because there's a lot happening very quickly. You have to remain calm, um, despite a lot going on around you. And, uh, that's kind of what got me really interested and set me on a different path in terms of like the mindset work yeah. and, um, pursuing sports psychology, taking a huge interest in it and mindfulness and all of those things. Mm. Um, I never would have, you know, we, I wouldn't be here with you yeah. had I not made that shift or even experienced skeleton and pursued it at a high level. I just wouldn't have probably made that shift. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. And it's obviously we met through a, a training that we were together on and we, we connected them. Um, obviously value during input. I thought it was very, I thought it was powerful. Uh, you know, and I, I do know a lot of what you've achieved, but just can you can you help the people listening? I suppose understand more of of, of your achievements and your successes. Sure. Across the so, board, right? Even though you got a recent one that you know you're always yeah. adding to the to the <laughs> list. This was. <laughs> I know my my family's always like, okay, what's Megan doing next? <laughs> yeah. So um, I start. So I joined the military after I graduated from college. I then started doing skeleton and there also happens to be the army world-class athlete program. So um, you can apply and get accepted if you're able to pursue at a national level and possibly make an Olympic team, the army will accept you. And so then you're an athlete for the army. So I had the honor of doing that um, a few times. I was an, ar an army athlete throughout my skeleton career and um, competed in skeleton. I just retired last year and I competed for over a decade yeah. And I went from, um, in 2012, I was the national champion and then I suffered from uh, life-threatening blood clots. And so I almost died, which was very scary. Yeah. And then, um, I had to kind of come back from that. So that like mental hurdle and, and physical trying to come back from like a very scary life and career, yeah. uh, possibly ending, uh, scenario. Mm. And then, um, but I had 
an incredible comeback. It was kind of drawn out. There were a lot of ups and downs, but I was able to come back and make a world championship team and kind of rebuild that momentum that I, that I lost when I was away from, from yeah. competing. And so um, I ended up building back and I was number one in the U S for several years. Um, I was high as eighth in the world and I've set two track records. I'm a world cup medalist and um, had a really, you know, crazy career. I was like yeah. at the bottom here and I've been really high. So I, I can empathize with athletes. I've, I've experienced the full spectrum. Full spectrum of, yeah. <laughs> but even beyond that, them. beyond that, Megan, like you've said a lot of powerful things there and a lot of stuff that I'd have to double down on. But I mean, you, you, you did say that you almost died. Yes. Um, that, that's, that's something, right? So like, can you tell us more about that experience and you was a person before that experience and you was a person after that experience, right? And sure. that was like, great question. Great question. Um, so before, so, uh, that happened to me because I was taking a birth control actually. And, um, that was something that in my soul, I knew that it was not something that I wanted to do. Um, I was in a relationship at the time, the yeah. person that I was seeing, we weren't even in the same state. So I don't know why I was <laughs> drawn to do this, but I started taking, because this person was, was pushing me to, to do that. And so um, before that, I was kind of like, okay. And kind of asked a lot of people, their opinions, what they thought, did you like taking birth control? Da, 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 you know, yeah. seeking information outside of me. And then after that experience, um, I started to really question a lot of information I was given. <laughs> mm. I questioned and, a lot of, uh, yeah. but it might impact, like, I wonder what does, does it impact your performance capability as well by, does it oh, positively, I'd imagine obviously there's some impact in that as well, but that's probably another, um, that was another obviously question that you were getting curious about when you were talking to, to people. <laughs> yeah. That guy, I'm yeah. jumping ahead. That's, that's no, what... no, you're good. I'll get to it. So, um, so I, I obviously almost died. I, I basically went from being an athlete who could train. I was training six days a week at a time, sometimes twice a day. And I was in like super top condition. I was so strong. I have not been as strong as I was then since, mm. um, I was able to squat, um, like 123 kilos for three reps at the time I was weighed 56 kilos. So it was, I was like very strong, substantially yeah. strong. Um, like I said, I've never done that since. <laughs> and um, uh, I was basically, I went to warm up for a combine test. So, you know, you're just evaluated on mm -hmm. sprints and throwing and jumping, just, just a overall evaluation for the athletes. And I could not even breathe when I was warming up. I was doing like just a jogging, like a warm up lap before you get into like your drills and everything. And I could not even couldn't hold the conversation. I couldn't breathe. And so I was like, okay, this is really strange. And, um, I, one of the events, it's like a 45 meter sprint. So if you're, if you're trained at all for a 45 meter sprint, like that's really not a big deal, yeah. but I basically like collapsed at the end of it was like struggling to catch my breath. And at this time I had, was a veteran athlete. And so the people who there were new people there, you know, and they're like, yeah. what is wrong with this girl? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. So it was, uh, it was bizarre and it was very scary. And so I ended up somehow finishing this combine and I had the second highest combine score out of anyone who's taking it at the time. So that for me was like, showed me like the power mm. of the mind. For some, sure. Yeah. Like even at that, like that's, 
like significant mental resolve. Definitely. When your your body is like, stop, don't, yeah. I can't. And you're using your mind and your mental strength to elevate above and yeah, really and ta- tap into that, that, that just that little thing inside like that really get that can take it to places that it was nuts it was it was nuts seriously like if you told me that i had to repeat that under the same conditions my mind now is like there's no way yeah but look you've been through that i wonder make like you know i know like i'm kind of jumping in with some questions but like i wonder you must have got some amount of confidence and um strength from knowing that you you push through and achieve so much in even in that just like one hour or whatever long it was like for any other anything that comes your way now but it can't yeah, be yeah, that. definitely you know? and it i think that what um what ultimately came from it was not only with like this the taking the birth control but even the sports and performance side of things was that i really need to like listen to my intuition that was like the biggest lesson that i got from that whole experience was that i can listen to my intuition and that my mind is extremely powerful (laughs) and um yeah it was just a quite the whirlwind because then I was out of the of competing for a year um they told me when I first you know went kind of into recovery and was was properly diagnosed so it took me I saw five doctors before I was diagnosed and I basically I told the same story I was like I'm really healthy I eat the same way I train the same way and I'm eating (laughs) grilled chicken and broccoli seven days a week like <laughs> you know yeah. it's like super planned diet the only thing that's changed is i started this birth control i think it could be that so i mean i was like telling the answer you know my intuition knew that it was this thing yeah. and um so i ultimately did get diagnosed and they told me that i was never going to be an athlete ever again and, and diagnosed what was the diagnosis then Megan? what did they- um, it was a pulmonary embolisms, which is blood clots in the lungs. And um, essentially they, so they took a, like a CAT scan and they said, it looks like somebody took paint splatter and went like this and you've got blood clots all over your lungs. And there's like one particularly off of the main branch of a pulmonary artery. So I have like a, you know, two by two inch square of, of the lung, the tissues just, you know, adipose just tissue, it's the, t- the tissue has yeah. died. Um, just from lack of oxygen. And so it was a really scary process, like to hear something like that. But ultimately, like I fully recovered your lungs compensate. Um, I didn't have, you know, it wasn't like half of my lung. It was just this like top portion. So your lungs end up compensating, but it was very bizarre. There was a huge contrast because I went from um, training six days a week. Then I was in a hospital bed for 10 days. And then I had to take blood blood thinners every day and I was in and out of doctor's offices like five times a week because it was at the time um blood thinners now they have some blood thinners where you just take it and you know you kind of that's it but um when I was taking them you had to check your your INR which basically is like the ratio of your blood thickness and because it can't be too thick it can't be too thin so they got to adjust the medication and it was this whole process so it was, that was really bizarre because I was really, like I said, I went from being in shape. I'm like about to start my competitive season, yeah. um, the, the year before the Olympic season. So it's a pretty big year. It's an important year. And then I'm like, I'm in and out of doctor's offices all the time. I'm like next to geriatric patients. I'm like, what am I what's <laughs> happening here? 
That um, yeah, that was hard. Like, like, I don't want to take away from being an athlete your whole life, and you've been at the upper ages of you know your own potential, and you know even competing against other people, and you know even better than most of those, if not all of those people you came up against in those respective sports. And all of a sudden, like that just whipped away from you, like took away from you right, right there. At yeah. a pivotal time where you mentioned you were the strongest you've ever been. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's gone. Like so, like how did you make sense of that? Like. So I, um, it was also bizarre because it wasn't something that people could see. So when people saw me, they were like, well, so why aren't you competing? You know, yeah, <laughs> like you break yeah. your arm, like what's going on? So that was very interesting um, experience as well. But for me, I had to tell myself that there was a way out, you know, like I, when, when they were like, you know, you might never be an athlete ever again. And like, oh, we'll see it might, you might be on blood thinners for a year. I basically set goals for myself that um, I'm going to have a CAT scan in three months time and my progress is going to be really good. And so I basically like visualized having a CAT scan that had really good results. And I was like, I'm going to be able to slide. So the skeleton season usually goes from October to March, maybe Mm. April if the weather allows for it. And I was like, I'm going to be able to get on a skeleton sled in March, even if it's for a day, I'm going to be able to get on a skeleton sled. So that was kind of like what I was telling myself on a day in and day out basis, because it it was very dark. Like it definitely got very, very dark at times. It definitely went through a period of like depression and just, just because, you know, the world, it was was just a a total Uh, contrast. And uh, I felt very, very alone because people, a lot of people can't relate. They don't empathize. They don't don't know. And that's, you know, no, nobody's fault or anything. I just felt very isolated. And so the, my way of dealing with it was envisioning a future that I wanted. (laughs) So, um, and that's not like always a guarantee, right? You know, maybe you do have something that, um, however, I firmly believe in the power of the mind and, uh, your ability to, heal yourself in some capacity, even if it, if it wasn't like a full recovery, I do think the mind has a tremendous impact on the body. Yeah. And um, I believe that that definitely accelerated my recovery because they had anticipated that I would be on um, blood thinners for like 12 to 18 months. And I was off of them in less than a year. So, yeah. um, and I know they give you like the worst case scenario, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no, but um, for sure, even your own your own growth, I suppose, through that, like, I suppose, like you mentioned there, at times it was very, very challenging. It was, it was, it was for sure, like dark days and, and all of that. But I, you know, your, your mental resolve again was something that got you through it. But even making like, like, I suppose, cause I know that there definitely is other people that would experience maybe a similar process about something being taken from them and the challenge of, you know, going through that in that process, whether it's, you know, losing somebody, whether it's obviously sport, not being able to play the sport, you know, their whole identity wrapped around, maybe losing a job that they're really immersed in. And there's a process people go through. Like, and I mean, you went through it in a, in a very, um, I suppose, in a very powerful way and in a way that you were totally alone because how many other people have been in that position, right? And especially in your network. So, so like, can you tell us about kind of um, maybe what was the, the darkest kind of moment that you remember and you recall back and, and what that felt like, what that was like, and maybe how um how you kind of dealt with that again in a subtle way. I think that mm-hmm. that would very um very helpful. 
So um, when I was first released from the hospital, I was allowed to walk for 10 minutes a day. Again, really big contrast. And so, um, and I had to like breathe into this little machine. It was basically like to help expand your lung capacity. And so I took that on like an athlete would like, okay, I'm allowed to walk over 10 minutes a day. (laughs) So I just made like I yeah. you're on 10 and a half minutes Megan you're on, t- you're on 11 minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> push it the age and it was it was hard it was hard because it, I truly struggled with the, the breathing so 10 minutes it was it was so strange because I was like I was just training like so hard why is it so difficult for me to walk for 10 minutes um but that having like that routine and um a structure was what really helped me. Cause initially, like I said, it was really dark. There was times, um, cause it was such a stressor on your cardiovascular system. I slept for like, I mean, it's 15 hours, you know, long, long yeah. hours. Part of that was the, the stress on the body. And part of yeah. it was mental. I was just like depressed. It was like yeah. sad. And what, so for me to be like, okay, I'm going to like just get out of bed. And like, that is a success for the day. Um, and making myself have a routine. I was kind of forced into somewhat of a routine because I had to go to these doctor's appointments and stuff. But to me, like, I really liked physical activity. So I was like, okay, I can walk for 10 minutes a day and (laughs) this is a win. And, um, I had already started to get into mindfulness prior to this, but, Mm. um, I really got into meditation even more so. And, part of my like meditation routine was visualizing the outcome that I wanted and yeah. just like attaching myself to the feeling of yeah. what it would be like if I had this outcome, if I was fully recovered, what would I be like? Would mm. I be sulking in my room and sad with all of the windows and curtains cl- closed and not talking to anybody? Um, I had to like force myself to socialize, like just, I mean, simple things, right. They're just so simple, but it made a huge difference because they were, I don't want to say that you should distract yourself, but it, it was, it was a little bit yeah. of a, just like a mental break for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of having like that, those little routines, because no one was like, Megan, you need to get yourself into a routine and you, you should be doing meditation. You, yeah. No, no one was going to help you. Right. No, like not yeah. no one was going to help you. Right. They, they could try, but ultimately the only person that can help you in that, that situation is you, you know? Yeah, that's 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 the key. But tell us about that routine. Like that, that seems to be critical to your fast tracking recovery and your ability to do it in a way that you know you make progress and you learn a lot through the process. So, what was the routine? What was the kind of mindfulness meditation kind of process that you developed for yourself over that time? Um, so like I said, I, I kind of was already into like silent meditations, I got into more guided meditations. Um, and specifically, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And so he's talked about the the placebo effect and, um, you know, really into that neuroscience and, and he's been, you know, there's so many people that have healed themselves with his work. And so I highly recommend if you don't know Dr. Joe, one, I don't know where you've been, but you should definitely check it out. (laughs) I'll put that (laughs) in the show notes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dr. Joe, he's great. He's uh, amazing. So in the past few years, I've actually been to a couple of his meditation retreats and, Um, so for me, I started to just 
slowly expand the amount of time that I was meditating. Cause most people, when they start meditating, it's new, it's uncomfortable. You know, the thought of sitting down for 20 minutes in silence is like treacherous. So I just yeah. was slowly expanded. I mean, sometimes there were times I've done silent meditations, like an hour long, done guided meditations that are two to four hours long. You've done, oh, <laughs> done it all. That I like even I said a meditation for an hour, right? You just sit in silence calmly. And what, tell us what, like, what happened. Tell us what happened to calmly. I say calmly, but I yeah, know you say calmly. The hell of a lot, like you can see somebody in silence in calm, calm from the outside, <laughs> but their internal world is a lot different. So tell us about your internal world, because I know for like even through my work and and through my own practice and meditation, it's something that I find very hard. But you do with consistency, you, you can get the benefit of it. And even I was listening to a podcast recently where Jocko Willink. Oh, yeah. asked did he meditate and he said he didn't meditate at all right so he said he does not meditate which um which is a huge i would say potential left on the table for him for sure but uh you know tell me about your experience what goes on for you, you when you do that and how you deal with that i suppose how you deal with your desire to leave your desire to take action there's all these yeah. things that you should do but you're not doing them how do you how do you maintain the consistency so um like i said like it- even if you sit down and you just consistently meditate for one minute a day, like they've, there's been studies that have shown that meditation, like three minutes of meditation has, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of benefit. So it's, it's the consistency is really what matters. So if you sit down and meditate today for one hour and then you don't come back and you meditate three weeks from now, like, is, does that really have an impact on you? No, it's much like anything else. You know, if you brush your teeth today, it's still not good a week from now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for me, it was more just like, okay, like I said, part of the routine. So it's like, I'm, I'm committed to meditating for X amount of minutes, at least five days a week. And, um, when I was doing silent meditation, so certainly there's a time where the mind wanders, right? There's a lot of, a lot that goes on in the mind, mm-hmm. especially if you haven't kind of addressed those thoughts and, yeah. um, and, and gotten them out of your head. So I, one, I also recommend journaling and you're getting like those thoughts mm. out of your head and onto paper. Um, but the meditation aspect, it's, I think a lot of people envision like, okay, I need to be a monk and I just sit there in silence and I'm perfectly happy and <laughs> that's it. But the practice of meditation, it's a practice for a reason yeah. because you're recognizing, like you're building that muscle of the, of recognizing when your mind wanders and bringing it back to, for me, I use my breath. Some people use sensations in their body. Um, and, but you, you start to recognize that there's another like voice in your head, right. That isn't necessarily you because you're observing these thoughts mm. that come up. Yeah. So I think that you, you have to separate, right. Making so you start to begin to absolutely not get attached in terms of the emotion of this, the, whatever it is, the frustration or the anger, you start to actually just, you know, as they say, leave it float by rather than grab onto it and, and leave it dictate to you. You start to kind of have more control and more awareness and more, more response Definitely. rather than reaction. Yeah. And I mean, it's certainly not always easy, right? It's, it's, um, I, but I like even just having the awareness that, um, this is what anger feels like in my body. Um, I, my mind is going over here and like, why, why is it doing that? You know? <laughs> you know yeah. And, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Cause I, you do, I don't know, Megan, have you ever watched the series alone where they take people and they, they say, oh, they take, I would love this. I want to see it. Honestly, no, you got to watch this. Uh, I actually have, um, 
the first female winner of the season coming on coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Oh, so okay. super excited. Her, her name is Wania Tebold. Her name is you'd absolutely love her, and hopefully I might actually I might actually make the connection after. But awesome. They take ten, so ten wilderness kind of experts, right? That are like the best in the world at kind of survive it or being able to kind of go to anywhere in the world and and, and be able to make best use of land and live, survive. And wow, incredible. All of that. They put them in a they put them in a, they take them into a really challenging environment and they essentially the, the longest alone, the last person standing wins and the prize is, you know, half a million is the prize. Like so nice. Uh, but but there was there was a number of seasons where there was, you know, you'd find that there could be two people left, right? All the other guys could have could, could be gone and there could be two people left and they could be going to 70, 80 days and they could be really damaging for the body, right? Oof, Just to be out yeah. in the wild. So they're completely alone out there. And um, so what they've done recently was they've went to an even more harsh environment just below the Arctic and they've put 10 people out and they took um, 10, 10, 10, 10 previous participants, highly skilled, they know that they're capable and uh, whoever gets, like how many people can survive 50 days because over the 50 days is the threshold where you can't, you might not make a full recovery. They're, um, they're the people that get, get the pop. But there was one person to, uh, made that and her name is Wani and I'm going to talk to her. But wow. just in terms of... Um, some of some some of what I've learned through um, watching that, you know, those um those that series is when they're alone out there, their mind starts to um things that they would have suppressed, maybe something they would have said there, an unhealed relationship with somebody from school or something that they've done wrong or something that's just there that they need to do something about starts yeah. to rise to the surface in those in those wow. in those times of isolation you know so i wonder like um through meditation does that happen and also maybe is is that one of the key reasons why people can't do it consistently is because maybe there's things that they don't like that surface oh i, so I keep, would say definitely yeah, yeah. and um because it is it's uncomfortable but um i so i've only done i've done um three meditation retreats with dr joe but they were all guided so that's a bit different because it's a little bit easier i think and um i've been dying to go to a 10-day silent meditation retreat and um just how my schedule was with like skeleton and stuff i was never really able to find one that was near me that i could go to yeah. and they we're, fill we're, up yeah. so fast they're, they're Have you got all one? Over the place yeah. um there so i'm from connecticut in the united states near yeah. new york city and there's one in Massachusetts, which is uh, not too far from me, but the, I mean, yeah. they're all over the world, but they fill up so quickly, which is fascinating. Like they're mm. always full. So uh, I was on a wait list for one and I didn't get in. So, um, but th- this show alone, I'm sure I would absolutely love. And then there's um, this other guy who wrote a book called the 12 hour walk and he challenges yeah. people to go. So he basically was like in Antarctica dragging a sled for 12 hours yeah. a day. And so he said that there, like, there's something so powerful that happens when you're alone for that length of time. Like mm. he did it for, I don't know how long. It had to be probably, like you said. He was years. walking as well, right? So he was on the move consistently as yeah. well, which is a power in that too, because you're tapping into, that's what that's what we come from, right? The tribes always were, Definitely. You know, they were always on the move. They were always, you know, up moving. They didn't stay in one place. They always moved to where the food source was. They always moved for safety because they can't stay in one yeah. place. Yeah. Like that, that's what we come from, right? So he's tapping into something really deep inside us, I would imagine, you know? 
So he has a challenge. So for anybody who wants to check it out, it's like, I think it's the 12 hourwalkcom So he challenges people to just literally go for a walk for 12 hours with no devices. You can obviously bring food and water. Um, there's no distance requirement. So it's not like you have to <laughs> cover 50 miles or something. You can, if it takes you 12 hours to go one mile, then awesome. But uh, he just says how, how like the, being alone with just your mind for 12 hours makes a tremendous shift. Um, so I, I would absolutely love this show. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. And why, why, why the walk? So the walk is in addition to being alone, right? So what is it about yeah. being on your feet for 12 hours? What about um, if you, in the 12 hours, if you sat down for an hour or half an hour? <laughs> did, I take it away, did I take away from the whole experience? You know? he, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think that's uh, against the rules. So <laughs> check, out, um, check out 12, what is it? 12 hour walk. I think it's 12 hour walk.com. Yeah. I think check so. Out. Yeah. So I'm, I um, was going to do that the day after Easter, but um, some other things came up. So I didn't, didn't commit to it, but um, that's on my, my like get to do list is that. And just to kind of like touch on what you said before, like some people kind of shy away from meditation because it's uncomfortable. And um, I just wanted to touch on what, like the victim mentality. So the victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of negative, the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. And I feel like that's super prevalent today. We, we see that. um, And this depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. And so it's, you're constantly thinking that, things are happening to you from the outside. And I would imagine that these people on alone uh, recognize that, yes, there's like the external circumstances, but their mind and what their their thoughts are about the situation that they're in also has a tremendous impact on what is actually happening to them. And they were successful. Like, Megan, you look back at the the people that would have won the seasons were the people that just most control of their internal dialogue, their internal world. They're most ease. They're most ease with themselves. You know, they're the most mental resolved. Obviously, they were exceptionally creative in terms of how they got food, how they hunted. Um, They had routines, right? You look at it, you could see the people that had consistent routines. And I think one of the key, especially with Wania, who was the first female that won, like she had, she always, like from from looking at it, you know, because I was, I'm always very curious about their approach to what they do, how they do it, because obviously that's that's where we're both connected. Is about curiosity about that, and she was super uh, connected to something beyond herself, you know. Ah, oh, that's fascinating. Also, her ancestors just to, to the land, and knowing that, um, she always references she's just as wild as as the fox or the bear, or you know where she was, and that that's something that's you know for sure is true that we don't we, that we do take for granted, and she was happening into all of that it's it's it's, it's really it, it is like i suppose and you know you can get my enthusiasm and passion for for the show but it's it's really yeah. it's something that was really um it, it was a transformational experience for you guys ever on it and i actually got a lot from it in, in terms of my own life and shifts in my own life and perspective just for me watching it you know so i think um gotta gotta, gotta check did that out. you um did you find that you were drawn to be more connected to nature after you've seen this show um, is that something that you value and do in your life? Yeah. I'm just curious because yeah. um, I find that a lot of people who are, who like prioritize that sort of like connection to nature, probably because it's a disconnection, right? It's like a disconnection from yeah. the digital world and their phone. 
and it allows for that like peace yeah. and solace and <laughs> it, look i'm sure i'm absolutely and key part of why i enjoy the show so much is because i enjoy nature yeah ahead of a lot and when i'm when i'm if I had a choice to be anywhere in the world, it would be going for a walk on the beach, going into the water, um, you know, pushing the edge, you know, in those environments. Like, and I suppose I, I remember I was in Zambia, and uh, we were in the, in the wild. We were kind of just staying in a in a hut, out there, and you're surrounded by hippos, you know, alligators, sea elephants, like you, you see it all, like and cheetahs and stuff like that, and uh, lions, right? So, so but I remember I kind of just I just pushed the boundary a little bit more. I just kind of went, do not cross this line course. I just pushed it a little bit across the line a little bit and I just went into a place out there, like where I was just like, no one knows where I am. I'm definitely shouldn't be here. I'm completely in oil. And I never, you know, I stayed I stayed there for about an hour and a bit. And uh, I said, should I better go I better head back because uh <laughs> I there was a situation where um could you know, it was um it was an impala, I wasn't wasn't a lion, but for a moment I thought it was a lion. And uh just, just got wow. a bit of um, not, not. A, well, I didn't say I got a fright, but I got a, a kind of um, I just, I just took that as a little message, just head back. But you know, I just kind of, I, I, I would say um, I value nature and I value, you know, the wild and in a really strong way. But obviously, it's something that we all have deeper in us. So I'm not sure. My job perspective is Megan, but I do, um, I do. It, it was a reminder of look, come back to to what's most important in life family and 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 nature as well you know so what are your thoughts on it Megan I agree I think I do I think it's a way to kind of connect to uh where we come from like source um whatever you want to call it the universe uh and it's like slows things down and I think it provides a space for uh gratitude and perspective and all of those things like your higher self your intuition allows for that you know that voice and that guidance to kind of come through, oh. and yeah, you you articulated it have a lot better made it. But if I could, that's exactly what I what I'd say as well about about it. And and there's something about that awe and curiosity and wonder about kind of you look at the ocean, you can look so far out. It's just the ocean for miles. Yeah, you know you see the horizon. It's like you know the curiosity about what what is that? What you know the importance of that to. To, to the world and to our lives like and you know just the wild it's just it's just so many there's so many things about being in an environment like that that just brings us back to what's really important definitely yeah. I, it it like you know zooms out a little bit on on our problems um kind of like a carl sagan the pale blue dot you know from space you see earth yeah. and it's this big and it's just this pale blue dot like that's where all everything that we know is <laughs> yeah and that's, um yeah yeah that's mad too like when you think about because there's no end like you know it's beyond our comprehension even like life and death you know what i mean you get it's like that that's the destination we all share as we're born we die you got earth you got the universe you got the galaxies like these things like that if you really 100%. you really kind of thought about it you know have that, i that, thought about it but like i mean i mean for me like if you really think about it yourself oh, like yeah, you know yeah. all those all those problems that you might all those things that come in that kind of trigger you or, you know, someone might say something or someone's body language or you might perceive things this way or you got all these emails coming in from work and stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, let's, let's be realistic about things. Let's be honest there. Yeah. You know? like, look, but look, I, look, I think exactly what you're saying, it emphasizes like this need to disconnect, um, to, to give yourself that space, to give yourself that perspective. And um, 
kind of to circle back, like one of the other things that I utilized in, in my recovery and even just even today, this is something that's part of my routine is that I regularly try to tap into gratitude, not try. I regularly tap into gratitude. I have a gratitude journal. Mm. I specifically write like 10 things a day. And I say why I'm grateful for these things. And over time, it's hard to come up with more and more. (laughs) It forces you to sit down and reflect. Um, and another one of the things that I I used is I wrote down a minimum of three wins of the day. So like three things just to kind of like, because we're, you know, we're wired because you have the fight or flight, like, is that the lion I need to run away? <laughs> You're yeah, wired yeah. to have this like negativity bias and assume the worst because yeah. that's what's going to be protecting you, yeah. um, you know, evolutionarily speaking. Yeah. So if you can train your brain it's definitely an active process and i think that some people don't realize that they might just be like well i'm just not a positive person you know something along those lines it's an active process confidence is an action as well so these routines like actively talking to yourself and saying positive things and affirmations and actively participating and doing gratitude and writing all of these things are proactive but they Mm. ultimately have so many benefits right and, um, and it's not always easy. It, it yeah. does take discipline. It does take willpower, but, um, you're training your brain to do something that's evolutionarily not, yeah, supposed yeah, to be yeah, doing, yeah. you know, it's not supposed yeah. to be looking for the best thing. It's supposed yeah. to be looking for what is dangerous to me right now. And, you know, the ego is trying to protect itself as well. So yeah. there's all of that. <laughs> Very interesting, like Megan, and I love to tap into the routines you have even though like the daily practices the morning routine the evening routine but before that like that that's something very interesting about the naturally honed negativity bias that's within every human that's within us as a result you know we needed to survive so we needed to have that negativity bias so that it would enable us to you know fight or flight and and survive in those moments where we were positive <laughs> we saw something that was life and dead and we weren't off the top of the food chain so you see it's there <laughs> but like and you mentioned you know that kind of what we do like gratitude and you know the winds of the day and stuff like that goes against that negativity bias i find that very interesting right you know about kind of but that negativity bias will always be there right so it's kind of you know in by doing those kind of practices which are vital like how is it is that the negativity bias is minimized is it that you're you, you create new pathways where you kind of short circuit more to the to the positivity of the courageous where there's absolutely no need to be a negativity bias. <laughs> Can you tell us about what kind of changes happen as a result of the consistent practice and the discipline over time? I think so. Um, where your attention goes, energy flows, right? So, and stre- like you said, strengthening neuropathways, you're kind of the negativity bias and that, that negative voice is always there. It's always going to be there, but you're just trying to strengthen like one voice over another. And that's a skill. Like it's so for me, um, when I was training, um, I would sometimes voice something that was negative, but I would hear, like, hear myself say it. So let's just say, um, oh my gosh, I hate doing front squats, you know, something like that. I would turn around and say, I love front squats. This is my favorite thing to do. So to someone (laughs) just like uh, a passerby would be like, this girl is bizarre. Right. But I'm training myself. (laughs) Say it out loud. Yeah, I would say it out loud. I would say it out loud to myself sometimes, not all the time. But um, if you can like recognize that, like recognize there's this like impulsive voice that is usually negative, 
But if you can have the awareness and counter it and be like, no, I actually, I, I enjoy this because I like getting better and this is going to make me stronger. And so you're like yeah. reinforcing it because it also changes like the energy of your body, right? You, if you're saying like, I hate something or I don't like doing this one, you're thinking it's not very good for you. You don't want to do it. Um, the energy in your body is very tense. And so if you're able to kind of make distance yourself from that negative thought and then reframe it in a way that it's positive, like, okay. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And be real. Like for me, I was like, realistically, these front squats are going to, they might feel hard, but ultimately this is going to be good for me and this is going to be stronger and it's going to get me close to my goals. So it's just like reframing and using self-talk yeah. and like, that's definitely a skill because that's self-talk. Not- uh, that's a huge part of kind of that ability to um, create those new neural pathways where attention goes, energy flows. And then even beyond that, again, your intention drives your attention, right? So it's kind of like, yes, know, you, yes. like that's part of my morning routine is to set, set an intention or, a couple of intentions for the day right and it, they do differ from day to day but you know i always ask the question okay how do i how do i want to show up today and you know whether it's be disciplined and consistent be balanced like you know i create a, re- a chain reaction in my my Definitely. life where, you know i seek that out I, I, without even knowing it's subconscious but if you don't set an intention you leave yourself open for shortcuts or you know ill discipline or whatever it is and it's reactive play. right like yeah. if if you're not setting that which i love that you said that because the setting the intention for the day you're kind of like putting at least a destination for your gps to be like well i'd like to, <laughs> to be but, here and yeah. maybe maybe we take this route instead of <laughs> this one but um you know you have at least some clarity i think a lot of people kind of lack clarity on what it is that they want and why and um, like setting intentions, especially for how you show up, gives like your subconscious mind something to aim for and your conscious mind to aim for. And even how, like that's probably subtle, right? You've probably set intentions for weeks and months and years now. And so it might seem like that's an easy task for you to do to set these intentions for the day. But whenever you come across a decision or an obstacle or whatever, you're going to reflect on those intentions. Right. And then you're going to be yeah. like, okay, am I acting? Absolutely. Even, yeah. if, even if it's a split second, like, am I acting in accordance with it's such a good point, Megan. Yeah. It's such a great point because like throughout the day, you're going to be like that, that intention will be challenged, right? There'll be a, like, if, if it's balance or if it's discipline, there'll be an opportunity to take a shortcut and that'll come. Could be 30 times a day. There'll be shortcut presents itself your intention that you lock and load on will even even subconsciously without even without even surfacing your conscious mind will just override that uh and give you a better chance of overriding that you know so you know that's the importance of it like these things like you do consciously you'll be surprised at what happens subconsciously then and, and yeah. the direction of your life and the success and you know the courage wolf and a, and a fair wolf making star fair feet courage story two wolves have you ever heard of that no let me read this let me i'll have to get this uh, you know well let me tell you what it's all about so it's, it's this, again, it's pretty interesting, but basically there's a, an old Cherokee kind of tribe parable. He was um, an elder in, in the tribe and he was talking to his grandson and um, he was telling the grandson a story. It's called a story, two wolves. And he just, um, he explained, oh, yes. yeah, he explained to the grandson about the fair wolf and what it is, you know, envy and false pride and ego and, you know, frustration and anger and, you know, mean spiritedness and all of those things and and then he told grandson about the other wolf courage wolf humility kindness compassion fairness loyalty 
um, courage, positivity. Like, you know, that's the courage wolf. And the Granton asked him then a question. He said, okay, well, there's two wolves inside us all, but which wolf wins? Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. So start fear, feed courage. And I think what we're speaking to a lot here is that element to just feed and courage. And, um, and, and because of that, then it's uh, that courage, courage wolf. As you mentioned earlier about kind of that, just the voice that you have, the negativity bias voice, the courage will, will grow, you know, bigger and stronger than that. And you'd be surprised the such impact in your life that would happen as a result of giving, you know, giving intention and, and you know, consciously making sure you're making progress in that area, you know? And it, that also comes down to like the consistency of, okay, feeding like the, the courage wolf, the consistency over time, like the compound effect, we yeah. we definitely went over that in uh, our course together. Yeah. The compound effect is is massive. So it's like uh, a penny doubled every day for thirty days is like ten million dollars or whatever it is. It's yeah. Versus, okay, do I want three million dollars now? So kind of circling back to instant gratification versus delayed <laughs> gratification. <laughs> We're all began, yeah. The compound effect um, coming from the consistency over time and like just you know, re um, patterning that groove and those neural pathways over and over again. Like it's the same thing with the river, like a, the water starts running and then it smooths out the rocks and then it creates that path. And then it's a yeah. full blown river. You know, it's, yeah. it doesn't happen in one fail swoop. It's, it happens over time. And, um, but I love the setting intention thing. Um, it, that's a super powerful routine. And it, it it's a, uh, especially over time, like you, it's so subtle, I'm sure to you now, but it does make such a difference on how your day actually yeah. goes. And you know, and you know, like, as, as you know, the compound effect over time. So you set so many intentions and some, some are repeated intentions, some, some are mm-hmm. different. Some of you, some of you lays more than others, but like all of those times that you've done that, it becomes part of who you are. And again, it's all subconscious in that you're, you're living and walking example of those intentions and the decisions you make, the words you use, the actions you take, all of those things, it you know you you, you find yourself just living in the, in the center of that world. Some by I suppose catalyzing it all by just a simple intention, because that's the yeah. start point where the action comes from, and the action and the action you take leads is, leads your life in the direction you you can take it. You know, so it's something very simple makes such a huge impact. Like everything is a compound effect, isn't it? Yes. You know, like good or bad. <laughs> yeah, good or bad. Like everything else, consistency is key. And if you yeah. keep um, making a bad choice every day, whether it's the food you eat, the, whether it's the in, in, inaction, yeah. not going to the, like it, that compounds effect is all over time, and you can find yourself in a bad place. And you know that's it's not an easy an easy place to be. Definitely. Do you know, Megan, if I if I circle back to like I asked the, I, I, I I didn't ask the actual question, but I was curious and I brought it up. <laughs> I mentioned around kind of you with the start kind of you know, when you realized that you had a potentially life-threatening mm. um, illness, that like going into that place versus when you came onto the side, and, like within that year, you're no more, no longer on the blood thinners and you're probably gearing up for the next, um, the next athlete and the next program or the next, you know, competition. Like, can you, like what's different? Like they're like two different people, right? So what, like, you know, can you, if you, if you were to explain that person, gearing up for that next competition after being through your experience what is different than who's that person now versus who it was going into the um I think my drive was super high however when I came back um so mind you I had a year off I came back 
I left as the national champion. And then when I came back, I couldn't even like make it in the top 10 because people just said like leapfrog me, they gain experience. Um, skeleton, you're already only doing six months out of the year anyway. So you're missing out on repetitions, right? If you're not competing. Um, mm. And so that initially to me was a shock because I did not see that happening. I thought I was going to come back and just be right where I was. Yeah. And um, so that was a, another like mental challenge and obstacle for me so, to overcome. You know, making even like people left previously, you would have been better than I don't like you were better than, but yeah. no, potentially are better than you. Yeah. Maybe like, and was that like, how did you manage that kind of, because that challenged it, your your identity then as well right and your status and and my confidence it it made me like question like well what am I doing here you know um (laughs) so it was that was certainly challenging because I was like oh my gosh like maybe I maybe I shouldn't be competing and maybe I shouldn't return to skeleton and how how old are you then Megan so what 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 age you then in your terms of your athletic Um, kind of so I was 23 I think 23 or 24 So, um, yeah, it was, that was super challenging. And so again, I had to kind of like reevaluate and be like, okay, this is the reality. And this is where I'm at. I made this team versus the team I wanted to make, which is world cup is the highest team. Um, so, um, my goal is to make a world championship team. That's what I want to do. (laughs) So you you reoriented towards the goal again and kind of reverse engineered. Yeah. Um, sorry. When I came back, it was, I came back in the Olympic year. And so, um, then it was like, okay, I'm not making this Olympic team. Okay. Yeah. Like that was the reality. And did you still have um, hopes? Like even through your, your illness that you, like, was it part of your visualization, as you mentioned, like, was it yeah. Olympic team? Yeah. 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 So, um, that was tough, but then I was like, okay, um, this is like a rebuild. I know that I'm continuing to compete until the next Olympics. So this will be a rebuilding opportunity for me. And my goal is to then, so I, I didn't make even the national team. I didn't make the national team when I came back. And so I was like, next season, I'm making the national team. I'm going to make the world championship team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had all of these goals that I was like, I'm have the opportunity now to kind of like shift my perspective because I don't want to make an Olympic team and be bad, right? I, I don't want to show up and be like, I barely made it and I wasn't even performing at my best. Yeah. I want to be like, okay, I, I'm performing well. I'm happy. I feel like I'm in a rhythm. I don't feel like I'm coming from behind. And mm. so it kind of just forced me to shift, shift what my goals were. Um, it was tough. It was really tough. Um, but ultimately, um, and that process took longer than I wanted it to, to come back. Yeah. I did make the, the world championship team the following year, which was great. Um, I did get um, subsequent world championship teams and I made the national team every year since then. Yeah. And um, then, I, but I, I never made an Olympic team, actually. So I was an Olympic alternate most mm. recently. And yeah, so Megan, how does that, how does that, like... When you say that, like you never made an Olympic team, how does that, like, how do you feel when you say that? Um, I, I think I know, I know why. Um, I, for me, it's because of where I allowed my attention to go and where my, my energy was going. And so, um, 
it was just another obstacle. And so I could have taken this lesson, right, that I didn't get to compete the season before the Olympics. And I came back and I was so focused on outcome and it didn't work. And I needed to reshift my, my perspective. I could have taken this lesson. So what ultimately happened was uh, I'm in the military. And so I competed uh, for the army and during like the COVID season, the army athletes were not allowed to compete. We weren't allowed to travel or go anywhere. And so I was in the same situation, like the season before an Olympic year, not training and not competing. And um, what I did do is I focused really heavily on the physical training because I was like, everyone else is competing. So they're in an in-season program. I can really capitalize on the physical stuff. I'm going to visualize and this, this, and this. And the things that I visualized um, were um, had to do with Olympic trials and because they were at the end of the 20, um, my gosh, I have to think about this 2020 (laughs) to 2021 season. So they were in uh, January, February timeframe of um, 2021. And I was like, I'm, I want to win. (laughs) I want to win Olympic trials, which I did not. Um, But I, uh, my goals that I had visualized were setting the track record in Park City and Lake Placid, which is where Olympic trials were held. I'm proud to say that I ultimately did those things. Yeah. But um, my attachment to my prior success prevented me from winning Olympic trials overall. And then ultimately prevented me from making an Olympic team because I went into the season. Um, if you're, I felt a little bit disconnected from my sled. I felt like I wasn't quite in a flow and yeah. a rhythm. I had just come off of the best season of my career where I was eighth in the world. And yeah. But you were, you were at that, like you were a strong candidate, like in your, like I can, I'm just look kind of my own thought process and making sense of this is kind of like, probably in your peak state definitely mm-hmm. nearly definitely would have made the olympic team but got that life threatening injury uh came back and you were like okay potentially there was a narrative that megan will never be back to her best then you're back to her best and it's like okay megan's gonna be <laughs> this olympic team and then that way like did that, was that a pressure on your shoulders like around kind of this this is the chance you have and everybody's kind of looking at you to say yeah, you, you want to be a leader on the team and you know, did, did, did that come into play again, like the pressure of expectation? Yeah, I, but I think it was me, you know, it was yeah. it was me putting the pressure on on myself um, because I think we overestimate how much other people are like judging us. Oh, I love that. Us. Like, I we love that. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right. Like I, I saw something on that recently actually about um, people really like you're, everyone's worried about what other people think of them people re- really don't give you that much thought <laughs> so, yeah. hey, what do you want to do anyway you know <laughs> yeah they're they're worried about what other people are thinking yeah, about and them they're worried about themselves right yeah so we're all really much in our own mind <laughs> expectation right your own pressure on your own shoulders and that's yeah. i think again a huge part of what everybody you know they put a significant weight on our, everyone puts a significant weight on ourselves and and um, some people don't take any action as a result of that weight some people take action fearfully um, and minimize their you know, for potential and potentially you might have been in that position where there was that expectation. Can you tell us about that actually, Megan, really how that went and what you learned? So I think the the pressure that I put on myself being like, you know, I had dreams of being like an Olympic medalist, right? <laughs> Anybody who's trying to make an Olympic team, they're not yeah. trying to go there and not perform, right? So um, that was there, but also I 
was number one in the US for a while. So for me to not be holding that position and I I was very attached, like I said, I was attached to these like prior successes. So when I would go to, um, for example, I won a World Cup medal in Austria and I was like, I'm so excited to go race there because this is my favorite track. I'm really good there. So I should definitely be placing in the top mm. three in this place. And I came in like seventh. So then I was like, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't come in the top three. Like what, you well, know, what so happened? So what happened, Megan? What happened? Why did you come seventh and not top three? Do you know? Just, I mean, little things, yeah. just tiny things. Um, and not like I was wildly underperforming or anything, but just little things like um, even just, I think I almost, almost stepped on my sled when I was pushing. And then oh, um, yeah. I went into like one corner late and like, so it's, but it's in a race where you're racing and it's hundreds of seconds. Like seriously, yeah. you could be in a race and the top like mm. 10 people are like one hundredth of a second. Yeah. 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 It's um, very easy, very easy to come first and very easy to come, as you said, yeah. or yeah. again. so everything has to go right really, doesn't it? And, but like the times where I performed my best was when I was focused on like one, I set the intention of how, how I wanted to show up that day, not what I wanted to accomplish, but how I wanted to show up the day. So oh, yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to be grateful. I wanted to be confident. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to, you know, whatever that intention is. And then um, I would also set the intention for the outcome I wanted, but I was detached from it. When I perform my best, I would be like, I know that I can come here yeah. and medal, but if I don't, then so what? There's always so another you, race. So you're in the moment, Megan. So you're talking about kind of being, rather like being in the yes. moment, being in flow, like being in that, in the zone where it's the joys in the doing, right? What's important right now? Like Definitely. It's, it's, okay, having a vision and having a vision for success and understanding what it looks like and what your outcome is and what the North Star is because you can't, you know. Right, yeah. Right. But you want to you want, you want then you want to let go of kind of the attachment to that. Yes. Right? And I think that's yes. a struggle for a lot of people, a lot of teams, but a lot of individuals within teams and a lot of individual sport as well. Like, you know, that they're so focused on the, the outcome. And I, I, I actually listened to um, a Michael Gervais podcast. You know Michael Gervais? Yes, yes. He referenced them um, because he coached a lot of Olympic athletes and, as you know, a psychologist. And he mentioned that one of the gurus that was um, a star athlete was on the podium for a gold medal in the Olympics. She was born and crying, and you know he was kind of noticed it, and you know was curious about it, and and spoke to her about it after, and uh, you know he thought they were tears of joy, but they weren't. They were tears of sadness because she thought it would be different, or that she wouldn't feel the way she feels, and that you know no she can be happy because she achieved what she wanted to achieve, but nothing changed, you know. So that was very yeah. um, very interesting. Uh, obviously, for me as a sports person, you know I've you know you have your you know you, you can relate to it in a certain in a certain way from playing in earlier days of but course. it was pretty powerful you know and I heard it and I don't know Megan what you make what your thoughts on that I I love that example there's mm. so many people that I know and have competed with that were like I put this event like the, the Olympics or whatever it is could be a championship could be anything I put this event on a pedestal and I got there and you know, it's almost like you're expecting your happiness or your importance or your value to yeah. be placed on this event. And then when you get it, it's it, nothing changes. And nothing, I think yeah. that reiterates the, the notion that like, it's truly the process. It's truly the journey of getting there. Like there. So um, I recently 
uh, to jump ahead, I recently <laughs> competed in a weightlifting competition. My goal was to make a yeah. national, yes, to win and be a national champion uh, at the master's level. And um, I, I did all the things that I would have done when I was a skeleton athlete, you know, like this wasn't like super serious. And I've been dedicating years of my life for it, but I was like, I know I can do this. I like competing. I'm going to focus and hone in and like have my routine and square everything off and do everything as I would, yeah. if I was, co- as I, if I was coaching someone, this is what I would guide them to do. Um, and I, and so I did, and I took it very, very seriously and, uh, I, I enjoyed it. And so it was, I had a bit of a different perspective now, especially having gone through like retirement from skeleton. Um, So I I didn't so much like build it up in my mind. I definitely was happy when it happened, but I visualized it so much that when it happened, it was kind of like, you know, yeah, I was kind of like part of that. You've been already, right? You've been already. Yeah. Which is, which is actually cool that that's like, that's actually a positive, I think a positive thing. Mm versus thinking it's going to be this life-changing like <laughs> yeah. um event uh like you want it to feel natural and real because everything that went into it was all of the preparation is what made that that event possible and um yeah there, i mean there's just so many people that i competed that with but that were like man i built this the olympics up in my mind and when i got there it really it really wasn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> and that's too bad because like, I mean, for me too, you know, I dedicated a, de- a decade of my life to that. And that was the one thing that was like forever was the one, one event that I was trying to get to. And um, I believe that everything happens for a reason. And yeah. uh, there was certainly a reason why I was not there. I learned a lot from that. I have so much mm-hmm. perspective and gratitude for not making it like uh, the lessons that I've learned from not making that team are yeah exponential and i firmly believe that you know i can it will make me a better coach for sure um having gone through that experience because i think it's it's more relatable for somebody to hear what i did through yeah i dedicated all this time and i didn't make it versus i dedicated all this time and i have a gold medal like okay joe off the street is like okay i don't even want a gold medal right (laughs) i'm making you number one you were number one in 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 america like that that's huge fucking a massive achievement like obviously that <laughs> Thank you know that like that, that like and how did that feel Megan like how, you know to walk around as number one like I mean like how, like tell us about like what was that like as a I know we're kind of touching off in you know being in the process and stuff like that but you know at that time you're number one in in, in the USA like what's that like as a um, I mean, I was really proud, but I never felt like, I think because I had come from like an underdog position a lot of times, I never yeah. was like, okay, this is permanent. Like I've earned it and I'm done. Um, I knew that it was the next note to know, right? Remember what we said? Yeah, it, there's it top was, and you're another one to claim. It, yeah, exactly. And it was like, uh, but also I knew people were coming for me. Right. So, mm. um, it pushed me to train harder, to be better. I, to really focus on my mindset. And, um, I was very, very, and I'm still very, very proud of the preparation and the dedication and everything that I put in because, um, you'll never be able to take that, that away from me. (laughs) And uh, I did accomplish a lot for someone, my size, like I was very, very strong, very fast. I was one of the fastest pushers in the world. Um, and I, I wanted to be number one for a while and I visualized that. And that, again, that was not some overnight thing. And, um, but I was so consistent. I think the difference between me 
becoming number one in the U.S. and becoming um, and being an Olympic alternate yeah. and not making the Olympic team is that when I was number one in the U.S. and like before COVID and all of that, yeah. um, it was extremely consistent in my routines and the things that I was doing. And then when I had um, was kind of having like a almost like a mental breakdown during the the Olympic season. I basically had the mindset that I I should know better because I've done X, Y, and Z and I do the mindfulness and I do these mm. things. And so I didn't utilize support when I really could have used it because it could have taken like me reaching out to you or like something like that yeah. for you to just be like, ah, we're just going to like change the GPS this way and re-guide you. Yeah. It really could have been like the tiniest shift. So, so you didn't it. ask for help in the moments when you should have. Is that kind of yeah, like yeah. you know? And you mentioned mental breakdown, kind of like what was going on there, Megan? I know it's. I think kind the of, yeah. the uh, the attack, like I said, the attachment to old successes, and then yeah. when I wasn't getting, um, so it's weird because it was kind of attached to some of the things that made me successful, but like too much. It was like a suffocating attachment where I was like. I used to visualize mm. these outcomes and I did, but I was able to let go of them. And that's what made me successful before versus prior to the Olympic season or during the Olympic season. I mean, I would visualize these outcomes and I was so attached to them. So then when I didn't achieve them, it like really knocked at my confidence. So my, then I was, you know, just trying to like force outcomes and force things to happen. And it makes your, it's very difficult as we know, to perform and flow like that yeah. when you're super cerebral and everything like it's very hard to get into a flow state it's very hard to be, be in peak performance yeah. and i mean i certainly had moments where i was performing well but because i was thinking so much um i didn't allow myself to tap into a flow state whatsoever so so megan we could obviously speak for hours right so just <laughs> <laughs> be real about it like we could stay another few hours for sure but what's next for you then right so like i'm really curious about your future and like I, i'm really optimistic about your future i know you're going to make such an impact in the world you're going to be such a great coach um, and you're going to bring a lot of positivity but a lot of um bringing people to the edge in their own you know in their own way but in a way that you're utilizing your experiences that you have gained which is incredible but what's the future like for you I know you've got an upcoming book. Maybe you might speak, speak about that, but even beyond sure, that, again, sure. tell us about this this book, please. Sure. Okay. So, I, like, I'm currently finishing my second graduate degree in sports psychology, um, and uh, I might do my thesis actually on how the brain impacts muscle activity when you're doing visualization. That's something I'm interested in. <laughs> no better person. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I'm going to be writing this book, um, hopefully by the end of the year. And um, definitely by 2024, there will be a book called 30 Days to Savage. So my nickname, in case you want to know, is Savage, The yeah. Savage Beglet. Well, you got to tell us about that. Where did that come from? So because I'm small in stature, I'm uh, five foot two inches tall. I don't know the metrics for that. but <laughs> yeah, um, So I'm small in stature, but I've always been like resilient, have a lot of grit, very persistent. I'm really strong for my size. I'm... Mm small but fierce so it was yeah. kind of given this nickname um and i you know it stands true <laughs> yeah yeah but like this was it's you take positive with it right it's a positive thing right it's ferocious yeah. i get a ferocious sense from that more right and relentlessness, definitely, definitely. perseverance and all of that which is um 
you, when you put those qualities and characteristics to good use, you can go a long way. And I think through your story that you shared right now, you can see the nickname is very um, <laughs> sure. Sure. Thank you. So 30 Days, um, 30 days to Savage. So 30 Days, 30 days, days to Savage um, is basically going over like the tenets that I live by, which would be like self-awareness, the affirmations, the gratitude, um, execution. And so uh, it's basically a 30-day plan to kind of get you into like the routine. Um, I'll talk a little bit about some of my stories and stuff like that, but yeah. uh, to help you adopt a savage mind yourself. So yeah. that that's, that's my upcoming so- book. We'll, yeah, for sure. Keep, we'll keep an eye on that and definitely um, let us know and let me know when it's coming up and I'll, I'll, sure. be, sharing, I'll be sharing it with people for sure. Um, but l- lastly, um, Megan, beyond that again, like where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, gosh. This is <laughs> well, you know, we don't have much time now, right? Because like literally we both we both going to go on very soon. But like quickly, 10 years time, what's going on in 10 years time in your world? Uh, 10 years time, I have financial freedom. I am coaching uh, peak performance athletes and individuals, and I'm helping them with their mindset and using their words to help them create the Mm. reality that they want. Um, That is my passion. I absolutely love it. And um, I just want to make an impact in as many people that I can. And in 10 years time, I will probably still be competing in something else. I don't know what it is. I just <laughs> <laughs> never stop competing, right? Like always consistently challenging yourself. Being at the age, you know, forever, right? So that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what life is all about, right? Living life to the fullest. <laughs> so Megan, it's been, um, it's been amazing. Um, Thank you. I fucking really was immersed in, in that conversation. And we both connected through training and flow. And, and, and flow. flow. I that think we dropped, we dropped in there for a bit today, for sure. And uh, look, it's, um, we definitely keep it touching we then um, you know we talk again but look i just want to say thanks and uh you're an exceptional person an exceptional character and that vision you have i have absolutely no doubt zero doubt that you'll get there ahead of us sooner than 10 years you know if not thank even there you. now thank you so. <laughs> so that's it guys for another episode of the live on bum podcast thank you so much for being part of this unfolding and emerging experience that we're having together I really hope that you learn something from this conversation and that you will put it into practice in your life, which is what it is all about. Consistent practice over a short period of time can make such a huge difference. And if you do it over the long term, it'll change your life. What you practice grows stronger. Please keep the feedback coming in. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate you. And as always, please live your life unbound. And until next time, Thank you very much, Stephen and the team at Live and Bone.